Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Friday, and your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, December 15th, starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back investigative reporter for Block Club Chicago and every bit the bookworm that Ben is, Rachel Hinton. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, you want to know about art in the city of Chicago, you want to know about literature in the city of Chicago, you want to know about the news in the city of Chicago, you need to head to chicagoreader.com. And if you want to hear about Ben Jarofsky in the city of Chicago, just go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell it for you. It's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Oh, What a Week Friday <laughs> because it's Oh, What a Week and it's Friday. Rachel Hinton is joining me, good friend of the show, outstanding political reporter. Actually, only reporter, I should just call her for Black Club uh, and a total political junkie and nerd. She tries to cover it up, but we all know. OK, <laughs> uh, so uh, welcome back, Rachel. It's always good to have you back. Uh, and thanks for coming on my humble little podcast. Thanks for having me again. So uh, we have a number of things we want to talk about that are kind of, they're pretty much anchored in what went down this week. And uh, I'm really delighted, though this is on my mind right now. I got distracted before we went on the air. I was just chatting with Rachel about this, that, and the other thing. It turns out we share a library. We live in the same general area. We both go to Solzer Library all the time. We both order books from Solzer Library. I'm like filling up, my eyes are filling up with tears, a kindred spirit. I love Solzer. I love the people of Solzer. I cannot speak enough of, highly enough of the librarians at Solzer. They always have a nice thing to say to me when I come in there. God bless you people at Solzer Library. They always ask me my opinion about the books I'm reading and give them a raise. Mayor Brandon Johnson, you gave the police a raise. Give the people at Solzer Library and all the librarians, God bless them all, a raise. Part of the reason I turned against Rom uh, very early on, here we're going down. I have some positive immediately, Rachel. I got to go negative. Uh, is because he tried. He, I left. Oh, I know. I left. <laughs> he proposed cutting library hours. I'll never forget it in his first budget. And there was an uproar. A lot of people on the north side. And I think that stunned Rom. It's like, wait, I never go to a library. What a bunch of only losers go to libraries. Uh, I just buy my books. I don't actually read any of them. I just buy them. Uh, and uh, but no, uh, there's a lot of people in the city of Chicago who use the library. A lot of smart people. I always make fun of Chicagoans, Rachel, but there, are, I believe there's this like subterranean group of Chicagoans who are really smart, really cool, and they go to libraries and they order their books in libraries. And you are one of them. It turns out that Rachel Hinton uh, is part of this group that orders her books from the library and like me eagerly goes to the library whenever you get the little email notice that your book is ready you got like five days to pick it up rachel uh, 
So we're going to close with Rachel's recommendation. We got Romana's recommendation when she comes to the show, uh, which are movies and stuff. But Rachel, she's going to re- recommend a book. But before we get to that, before we get to dessert, you're going to have to eat your vegetables, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to talk about the news of the day and make you smart. Uh, and the first uh, topic, I'll uh, introduce it. Rachel, it has to do with the Ed Burke trial, which I've been obsessively following. I call it the gift that keeps giving because it's <laughs> for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just a glimpse of the uh, corruption that we sort of take for granted uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, Ed Burke, of course, former finance chair, I'd like to point this out uh, for years and years and years, one of the most powerful men uh, in the city of Chicago uh, and oversaw the approval of budgets, TIF contracts, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and um, I, uh, I was just smiling when I read the Chicago Sun-Times coverage of the latest trial. Uh, that would have been yesterday. So just to position ourselves, uh, folks, this is we're doing this conversation on a Friday. Uh, Friday, uh, what is the date? The 15th of December. On Thursday, December 14th, uh, Burke's attorney, uh, Joseph Duffy, gave a passionate plea on behalf of Burke in closing argument, uh, which essentially... Um, <laughs> was basically a denunciation of Danny Solis. Uh, Danny Solis, of course, is the former 25th Ward Alderman uh, who uh, got in trouble with the feds, and the feds essentially said to him, uh, maybe we will be a little easier to eat with you when we punish you for whatever you did wrong uh, if you wear this wire and collect the goodies on Burke and Madigan, Michael Joseph Madigan, don't forget him. Uh, and so really, in my humble opinion, and we'll get your thoughts on this, uh, Rachel, the defense of Ed Burke, they didn't really have much of a defense other than an utter and total denunciation of Danny uh, Solis. And uh, in yesterday, um, in his closing, uh, Duffy was making an issue, the attorney for Burke, on the fact that the feds did not put Danny Solis on the stand, that he, the defense, Duffy, I had to put uh, Danny Solis on the stand and uh, he was outraged. He was outraged. I tell you um, uh, because they didn't have the decency. That's how he put it to put him on the stand. I was smiling at that. Chicago politics is rough and tumble. Ed Burke was rough and tumble. I never saw Ed Burke show any decency whatsoever toward Harold Washington when Harold was the mayor of the city of Chicago. <laughs> now all of a sudden we're supposed to be sobbing tears because <laughs> some kind of I don't know, protocol and decency was violated because the feds didn't put Danny Solis on the stand. Uh, anyway, so essentially as I see it, uh, Rachel, and I'd love to get your riff on it, uh, what the Burke defense has done as uh, try to position Danny Solis as a greater evil than Ed Burke. Uh, and I think they're playing on this notion that many people have, not just in Chicago, but it's very strong in Chicago, that a rat, I have that in quotes, uh, a person who rats out uh, one of his compatriots is somehow worse than the compatriot. Like So in this case, Ed Burke, uh, all these allegations of corruption, shaking down uh, developers and Burger King operators uh, and to try to force them to hire his property tax appeal business. Yeah, okay. That's unseemly, but it's not as bad as ratting on him. Uh, and I think they're hoping that they could play on the attitude that Chicagoans might have or jurors might have against the concept of a rat. That's my read of what uh, the Burke defense attorneys are up to. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, when I was reading the coverage, it made me think of, you know, immediately after it was revealed by the Sun-Times, I want to say, um, that Solis was was the mole. People were like, you don't snitch on your on your fellow colleagues. You're not, don't be a snitch. It wasn't like, you know, uh, they weren't up in arms about the, the alleged corruption or, or whatever else. They were just like, we had a mole in our house. <laughs> like, um, so that was kind of funny. And I got the same sense from um, Burke's attorney, like, I think at one point in one of the stories, I think I want to say it was a Tribune story, like he, he he acknowledges there was a scheme, but Burke wasn't the mastermind of that scheme. He was he was just caught up in it, you know, and also like it seemed like they're trying to really obscure the line or make jurors question the line between just being a general alderman with a side business, a guy who like has a property tax, you know, real estate firm on the side um, and somebody who is, you know, strong-arming people into using that business. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to be curious to see, like, how jurors decide this. But the fact that, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, that it seems like Dan- Danny Solis is the real person that they want to pin this on. And you know, the fact that prosecutors, you know, didn't bring him up as a witness, I think allows the defense even more, like, leeway in their argument of, like, if Danny Solis is going to be your star witness and you're saying that this guy did all this stuff, like, you put him on the stand and you tell us what he did wrong, you know? Um, and I think in some ways it creates like questions about like, how bad is this? But I think like the reporting over the years has really laid out what Solis allegedly did to, um, you know, not, not get pinched in the same way that Burke has. Yeah, no, here's the, uh, here's what he, uh, allegedly did. And this is from, uh, John Seidel and, uh, Mariah Wolfel's column or column article, uh, today, Sun Times, Mariah Wright is a WBEZ reporter and they cover this case jointly. Um, So, quote, a bombshell FBI affidavit first obtained by the Chicago Sun-Times alleged that uh, Alderman Solis received Viagra, prostitution, and other benefits from people for whom he had taken or offered official action, end of quotes. Uh, Yes, and I will never forget the Viagra accusation because the Sun-Times had a field day with that one. If you remember, they put the pictures of the Viagra pills uh, on the cover of the bright one. Oh, Sun Times. Rachel used to work for the Sun Times. I miss the page designers. They're great. Uh, I I used to sit very close to them and I would hear the head like them throwing around headline ideas and we'd all like laugh and joke about them. So and every once in a while, like the reporters and other editors would get involved, but they they had a field day with it and they're they're great. Um, Ramona and I talk about this all the time when she's on. Like I kind of there's sense they're almost poetic in some cases and sometimes like the joke goes over my head and it'll be like 10 minutes later i go oh that's the joke yeah get this notion of like these guys that are stuck in my mind are like 18 year olds in a uh like you know the wise acres that are really the funny guys in the class it's Uh, kind of the vibe yeah that was the vibe in the newsroom Uh, this 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 particular issue of the bright one is very um straight i can't think uh um I'm, I'm looking through it right now. There's there's no wise guy uh, headlines. Usually they reserve it for the sports section. So what was your uh, your thoughts about uh, Danny Solis's performance? I know you weren't in the court, but I know you followed it from afar. How do you think he handled uh, the cross-examination from a Burke's attorney? I think that he, I mean, handled it as well as he could have. You know, he he seemed to admit that, you know, he was scared. I mean, he admitted that he wanted to save himself um, from, you know, a lengthy jail sentence or whatever. Um, you know, it, it seemed like really like 
they kind of got what they wanted. I, I think at one point he admitted that he was trying to give them Burke to save himself. Um, I think that, you know, we, we saw him admit things. He, he's been underground, you know, speaking of a mole, uh, since this whole thing went public. And so to finally see him and hear him talk about this um, was, was really interesting because this is the first time that we've gotten like his take on this whole thing. I don't, I don't know that he's done any media interviews or, or really, I think he's just disappeared. Um, so that to me was interesting, like hearing and be like, yeah, I did try to save myself. Um, I think there were a couple of times where he and the defense attorneys kind of like, not blow to blow, but, um, you know, there was some, some testy exchanges there, I think where they were trying to like pin more of this on him than he wanted. And I think at the end of the day, like, you know, sure he's admitted this and he's likely not going to face jail time or like, not likely, but, um, he, he's not going to really face the same sort of consequences that Burke will face. I think he still wants to like either protect him, his family, uh, protect like, I, I don't really know if you can protect your legacy at this point, but I, I don't think that he wants to be completely smeared, uh, you know, as a result of this, this trial. Well, the, uh, uh, I thought he, I, I agree with you. I feel he handled himself uh, fairly well. Uh, that the defense attorney, I forget the name of the defense attorney in that particular cross-examination. It wasn't Duffy. It was a different guy. It really yeah. came at him. Gare, right? Thank you. Gare, G-A-I-R. Uh, really came at him hard. And according to uh, uh, John Seidel and Mariah Wolfel was, was yelling at him uh, and intimidating him or trying to intimidate him. Uh, and the sense of it, uh, based on their reporting, was that he wasn't intimidated, uh, that he, he was almost a matter of fact. Uh, and I'll be fascinated to watch uh, how the legacy of Solis versus Burke plays out. Uh, at the moment, this is like a very Chicago thing I'm about to say. Get your thoughts on this before we move on from this topic. Uh, at the moment, it seems as though there's much greater reverence for Ed Burke than there is for Danny Solis, at least in the Chicago City Council. And I, I point this out all the time I, I in my opinion this is me shame 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 on the chicago city council for giving ed burke a standing ovation on his last day at, at the council and you know it's always explained to me rachel that uh ed burke was um appreciated by his fellow alders because he would like show them where the bathroom was in city hall when they were rookies and i'm like you know what if if the price we have to pay for having teach some rookie alderman where the bathroom is, is a corrupt alderman. I don't know. Maybe we should have an office of welcoming rookie alderman or something like that. Cause this is not working. Like, don't worry. So I'm corrupt. Look the other way while I give you a key to the copy machine. Uh, I feel there's something dysfunctional about the Chicago city council that Ed Burke is in. There's a reverence for him because he showed people where the bathroom was. And there's just a total disdain for Danny Solis because to order to save his neck, he brought Burke down and exposed one of the most corrupt practices. That's my general take on things. Your thoughts before we move on. I'd agree with that mostly. I think that also, I think a lot of people are doing like the innocent until proven guilty kind of approach where it's like, he hasn't been found guilty yet. So I don't want to necessarily distance myself from somebody who used to be and probably still like has a great network of people who could possibly make my life hell. Um, so I think that's probably playing into it too. Um, I, I know that there were a couple of former Alder people who were in the room, in the courtroom. Um, I want to say the day that Solis testified to, to be there for moral support for, for Burke. Um, 
And I, I just don't know that we'd see that happen any other way. I, I, I wonder, you know, if anybody has reached out to Solis and, and been like, hey, I know you're probably, you know, having a hard time too. Like, I, don't, I, I just wonder what that's like. But I do think the reverence is like partly because he's been there a long time, partly and, you know, showed them the ropes, gave them the key to the copy machine or the bathroom or whatever. Um, also because this isn't final yet. Um, and, you know, I, th I think it's different when somebody snitches on you, uh, according to the city council members who, who spoke right after, and that's what brings you down. Um, and I know that, I mean, Burke has been in office or had been in office such a long time, decades. Um, so for this to be the thing that brings him down, I wonder if that's also part of this too, where it's like, hey, you, you got away with it, quote unquote, potentially, um, for a long time, you know, and, and for this to be the way you go out, I, I wonder if that adds to the reverence or respect um, that, that some of the council members have showed. Yeah, no, that uh, <laughs> the concept that they still owe Ed Burke something, because I missed that part, by the way, the aldermen that were in the uh, courtroom. Somehow or other, I missed that. Do you remember the names of the former aldermen? It was in the Sun-Times story. Um, it was Proco Joe and Tom Tunney. Oh, right. Tony. <laughs> Tony was there. You're right. I do remember that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Proco Joe. Uh, <laughs> all right. <We'll... laughs> and Tommy Tony. Wow. Okay. I do wonder what this is going to mean for Madigan. Like, I know Madigan's attorneys were there, too. I, I want to say the day Solis testified. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it's not just one person that he's potential that he, you know, wore a wire on. It's, it's yeah. also like the longest serving speaker of the u.s you know um another major power broker so no it's uh it's remarkable i mean uh if you just go back uh, five years and think about it, michael joseph madigan running springfield ed burke running the finance uh committee uh just the power they had property tax businesses uh that pretty much we're flourishing to a large degree because downtown property owners wanted to uh, show them favor by hiring them. I've long submitted, my position has been uh, that there is nothing that Ed Burke or Michael Madigan know about property tax uh, uh, legalities that makes them any more effective than any other lawyer. It's very basic. Property tax law is essential. I, I, whoever my guest is, I say, that guest if he or she wanted to, could do just as good a job as Ed Burke. If I, Rachel Hinton had six months just to learn the basics of property tax appeal, she could be as effective, in my humble opinion, at putting together an argument for a tax appeal as Ed Burke because it's essentially a formula you follow. Uh, but I've always believed they hire Burke as a way of showing favor to Burke in the hopes that Burke would would appreciate them if they needed a favor for him. And similarly with Michael Joseph Madigan. And to think that now they're both on the docket, they, they've they closed their firm. They don't have a property tax business anymore. They're out of that business. Uh, a lot has changed. I think it's also the clout that the the name or the firm brings. You know, it's not just, um, you know, hoping that to curry favor with the individual person. It's also the fact that you know that this person is so powerful that they can get things on an agenda or take things off and make sure that you never, your business never goes anywhere, you know, if they want that, um, which is basically, I mean, that's a piece of pretty big piece of, of Burke's trial is that 
you know, he used his connections allegedly to make life pretty difficult for some people. Um, and I think that people obviously want to avoid that. You know, you don't want your business to suffer. Uh, so, so you do what you can. You grease the wheels, you know. Absolutely. And to that point, I have to say this. This is the part of the, about the Sun-Times story that had me laughing out loud. Uh, the attorney for uh, Burke uh, in, in the uh, defense, uh, in his closing argument, uh, said, argued that Burke's alleged shakedown victims are tied together by one common thread. Not one of them went to the law enforcement to complain about Ed Burke. Okay. Uh, and I had a laugh. I go, of course not. Of course they're not going to go to law enforcement to complain about Burke. They don't want to get in trouble with Burke. <laughs> Duh. You know, he's the most powerful guy in the finance committee. If you want a tip, you got to go through Burke's committee. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to go, Hey, uh, feds, uh, I'm going to jeopardize my entire business in the city of Chicago by, you know, blabbing on the most powerful guy i'm sorry let somebody else fall on that meaning danny solis you yeah. follow what i'm saying rachel's preposterous yeah, assertion it's pretty crazy uh, yeah i know like it's a victim yeah. crime i guess what do you expect a defense attorney to say all right um let's move on to another topic uh this is a story uh that came out of block club i at least that's where i learned about it uh, rachel you take the lead on it rogue buses this is a fascinating story go ahead take, uh, take yeah the city is starting to impound buses that don't follow its rules for drop-off zones uh for new arrivals who are coming into the city uh this follows an ordinance that the city council passed earlier this week i want to say in their wednesday session um you know if if buses drop off people late at night because there's like a set like drop-off time or in locations other than the like designated spot um they're going to be impounded uh, and it fined um, $3,000 on top of that. So, you know, I think this fits into like the city and the state really trying to crack down on or really try to like, it seems like a big shift in their policy in terms of uh, accepting or welcoming new arrivals. I, I feel like before, you know, the state really stepped in, it was people are coming and we don't really know what to do. But now things seem to be slightly more proactive. Obviously, there have been stumbles there. And this feels like another step in that direction, I guess. And I yeah. want to just shout out uh, Quinn Myers and Alex Hernandez who did that story. Yeah, it's, as far as far as I know, they're the only people I that I've seen do the story so far. So uh, shout out to them. Uh, they're on top of things there. Uh, and it's going to tie into... Uh, the next uh, matter that I'm going to raise, um, which is the sanctuary city vote uh, that went down in the city council. Was it yesterday? I want to say, yeah, I think it was yesterday. Uh, and yeah, to follow up on your thoughts, I feel that uh, Mayor Johnson's administration and the city uh, as a whole is trying to send a different message with the impounding of buses. Um and it's kind of sending the message. This is my thoughts, and you you weigh in. Um, that they've listened to the residents of Chicago, and they want to make it clear that these busloads aren't welcome. Because think about what I'm saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I'm. In other words, if you were really welcoming people to the city of Chicago, whether a bus comes in at five or comes in at five thirty five or six wouldn't matter it's like we're open around the clock if they really wanted follow me this rachel if they really wanted 
immigrants to come to Chicago. We've lost how many thousands and thousands of people over the last 20 years, Rachel? We have how many acres of vacant land throughout the city of Chicago that could be filled in? We have how many vacancies in our public schools that could use a few more kids? Okay. If we really saw an influx of people coming in from Texas or, or Venezuela or Latin America or Africa, where the people coming to Chicago are coming from all corners of the world. That's one of the things Jeanette Taylor said when she was on the show, she was pointing out. It's not just um, folks from uh, migrants. You've got people from various African countries or countries from the continent of Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Cubans, people coming from Cuba. Uh, if we really wanted to welcome them, we wouldn't like be impounding buses and say you have to be here. By I think they're really sending a message loud and clear. All right. We heard you, Chicago. You're not exactly a welcoming city. Uh, to to new these neighbors coming in, so we're going to show uh, we're we hear you, and we're going to be tougher uh, and maybe deter people from coming to Chicago. Maybe that's what they're trying to do to deter people coming to Chicago uh, by uh, impounding buses, slapping fines in the buses, etc. That was my general read of it. What's your thoughts? I guess that's. I think I. I agree, or I guess I can see where you're coming from for the most part. I think that the city and the state, but especially the city, the resources have been spread thin that the city has put toward welcoming people. And there is no, like, the plan keeps changing. You know, like, we they were going to do tent camps. Now they're going to try to put people into, like, brick-and-mortar places, um, you know, uh winter is, is here basically or you know depending on the weather on the day um but I, I think that this is moving too much and i think that they're trying to set parameters that also help them deal with such a fast moving problem or, or crisis endeavor uh humanitarian endeavor however you want to phrase it so i think this is about um both trying to deter these buses and deter these outside places from sending people. But I think it's also the city trying to be like, we haven't really had a plan yet. We've just been welcoming people. We've just been, we opened like the floodgates opened, you know, we're drinking from a fire hose. Let's try to implement some sort of structure here, especially since this is going to probably keep happening. And so I think that one way to do that is, okay, you, you drop off people from this time to this time at this place. So that way we can make sure that we have people there to greet them. And so people aren't just like standing out in the cold um, or the heat, you know, depending on I'm sure next year, summertime, this might be continuing by then. Um, so I, I kind of view this as the city trying to implement some sort of plan for itself, some sort of structure there. And you know, who knows what this is going to do. I mean, like the bus companies or like the, the places that are sending people could see and hear about this and then say, oh, we'll just move them here or we'll take them here or there or whatever. So who knows kind of the long lasting effect of this. But I, I mean, I think that it's like a decent first step in the, the city trying to like have some sort of idea of who's coming and when and making sure that there's somebody on the ground to greet people and make sure that they have a winter coat or a hot meal or something like that. Um, you know, I feel like that's, that's kind of, th that's the first point, you know, is like welcoming people. And then the second point is where are we going to put people? Where are we going to make sure that they like live? That's fair enough interpretation. Maybe I'm a little too harsh on the city of Chicago. I want to apologize to Ronnie Reese. I know you're listening. Uh, my uh, spin on things may be a little too harsh on Mayor Johnson. I have a smile when I say that, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
maybe a little order uh, is uh, in order, I guess, is what you're saying. But now I'm thinking about this. So let's say you're a bus driver, all right, and you're driving to Chicago, you get a 5 o'clock deadline. I'm thinking about this. And you hit a wall of traffic. It's nothing your fault at all. It happens all the time. It could be an accident in the highway, and suddenly you're stuck in a horrific traffic jam. Uh Uh-oh, you're not going to make that 5 o'clock deadline. What do you do? Yeah. You got a busload of people, you know, do you, like, call ahead and go, I'm stuck in traffic in Danville. Oh, my. I just apologize, state of Illinois. I have no idea of geography. Everything is outside of Chicago. Rachel's laughing at me. Like, you don't even know where Danville is, Ben. Uh, So, like, I'm stuck in traffic outside of Danville. I won't be able to make the 5 o'clock. You know, what do you do? You just pull over to the side of the road. You get what I'm saying? And wait till it's morning, and then you can roll in. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. I do think that it, like, like the bus drivers aren't the ones choosing to bus people. Like they're the the company, they're the person, the representative from a company that's been like, it's a whole chain of command and they're just like the person who like is driving the bus. Um, And there's in in the story that um, Block Club did, you know, there's a bus that fled and and I'm sure they were like, I don't want to get in trouble for this. Like, I don't, I don't know what the implications of this are. So I'm just going to leave. Um, but I, I don't think that the bus drivers are necessarily like, they're not the quote unquote bad guys here. It's like, you have to go down the chain of command. Like who, who contracted with these buses or this bus service to then, you know, have this one bus driver drive people up. But I think that that's maybe too hard. Like, I don't know that the city can find those companies, you know, um, but you can find a bus that's here and that isn't following, you know, your order. You can't tow that bus, you know, um, it, it probably ruins the bus driver's day, but yeah. it allows the city to like have some sort of sense of order and try to figure like, again, try to figure things out. Like they can't worry about all these things that are outside of their control. They can only do what's in their control. Yeah, and if I'm a bus, I'm with you 100%. I guarantee the bus driver is the lowest person on the total pole. Uh, and if I'm the bus driver, I'm like, oh, this bus gets impounded, it's my neck. So, uh, you know, <laughs> get a charge, take it I'm out gonna, of your bag. You know? yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm going to St. Louis, which, yeah. by the way, it's, it's got a more tolerant attitude toward uh, immigrants than Chicago does. All right, related to this, uh, I'll lead off with this issue. It's a fascinating story. We've been following it. I find it fascinating. I've been following it for a while, and um, that is the attempt uh, by my old friend, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, Ray Lowe, I see you, uh, and Anthony Beal uh, to get uh, on the ballot, I think for March, the March uh, 24, um, 2024 primary, uh, a question to the city of Chicago, do you want to strip Chicago's status as a sanctuary city? Uh, and um, I've been watching the politics of this and talking about it for a while. Uh, this was the issue, ladies and gentlemen, to remind you, at play uh, when uh, uh, Alderman Carlos Mears Rosa got in trouble, uh, the mayor's former floor leader, uh, for trying to keep the council from having a quorum necessary to have a meeting so that they could vote on whether to put this on the ballot or not. Uh, and uh, it would take official vote of the city council to get on the ballot. Uh, and Alderman Ramirez Rosa was trying to keep the council from having the quorum. You can't, if you don't have enough people, Alderman Alders on the floor at the, you can't have a meeting, and then you, therefore you can't have a vote. And um, uh, that's when uh, he uh, had his uh, confrontation with Raylo. 
uh, at Emma Mitts at the entrance to the council. He later apologized for his behavior and stepped down as floor leader and zoning chair, et cetera, and so forth. We all know that uh, story. Anyway, they finally had their meeting. They finally had their vote. Uh, and the vote was 31 to 16. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think that was the vote. Uh, not, yes, thank you, Rachel, not to put it uh, uh, on the ballot. I have many, many thoughts about this. I will uh, put it to you this way, uh, Rachel, and get you your, your reflections on this. At our last First Tuesday show, dear friend of the show, Linda, listener Linda, came up to me and said, Ben, you're wrong about your position uh, on this. Yes, uh, it's fine to disagree with me. Uh, and um, I had contended that I wish it were on the ballot because I wanted Chicagoans to weigh in on this and show the world how they view this. And if you want Chicago to be a welcoming city, uh, offering sanctuary to people, if you want Chicago law enforcement officials uh, not to report on uh, the citizen status of anybody they pull over, be it Venezuelan or Nigerian or Cuban or Ukrainian, okay? It's more than just Venezuelans. Uh, then affirm it. Affirm it at the poll. If you want Chicago to be Trump city and be hostile to immigrants uh, and to say close our borders, then affirm that as well. And Linda said, Ben, no, you're too cavalier, you're too frivolous. Uh, sending it, The city would overwhelmingly vote the, uh, for Trump. Uh, and it would be a huge embarrassment for the city of Chicago. So I am glad uh, that uh, the Alderman uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa tried to prevent it from coming to the ballot. And I am hope it never comes to the ballot uh, because it would be a major embarrassment to the city of Chicago. So what are your thoughts about the great debate, Linda and Ben debate? Go ahead, Rachel. I, I kind of feel like people are conflating this ballot question and also like the city being a sanctuary having having sanctuary status with like spending money on new arrivals and like and solely on that like I think often in this conversation around this ballot question like what's missing from it is that the city doesn't share information about people who are here with police officers, you know? Um, and, and that's the main thing. Like n nowhere in there does it say, and we will give $5 million toward, you know, migrant welcoming centers or something like that. Um, the, the ordinance as it's written doesn't require the city to spend funds on immigration, on helping new arrivals, on whatever else. I think that for the most part, the discussion around this is, is fueled just by the anger and the uh, like political, I don't know, powers that be wanting, wanting a win basically. And I think that they're doing it kind of in the wrong way or not kind of, I think they're doing it in the wrong way. And I think they're not fully educating people on the sanctuary city ordinance and what that means. And the fact that it doesn't include any money, uh, it, it doesn't, it likely, has no real teeth i would think for like the, the new arrivals other than like you know we welcome people you know mm -hmm. um so i i guess i kind of i i mostly just sit back and kind of like i don't scratch my head but it's um it's it's something that like i wasn't expecting to pass um so the vote wasn't necessarily a surprise to me um i was surprised by i was briefly surprised by a few people who voted uh yes to move forward with considering the resolution but you know, I, I think that like 
people should be allowed to at least consider I think the city council should have been allowed to at least consider it. And I think the debate from that would have been good. But also we've seen debate on this issue for months and months and months. So I, it feels like we've already been, we've already had that debate. So do we need more of it? But um, to shut down the discussion of the resolution, um, I don't know. I, I kind of don't know that that fits in with democracy, I guess. Um, however, we're talking about people's lives and their livelihoods, um, or not even their livelihoods. We're talking about people's lives. Um, so do you really need to debate that? Do you really need to question somebody's existence? Like, no, I don't think you should. I don't think you should do that either. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little torn on that, mm-hmm. but it's been an, it's been an interesting week in city council, uh, for better or worse. Uh, mostly worse. All right. Wait, uh, <laughs> city council, um, uh, city council, uh, and all right. So knowing Chicago is the way you do, you've lived here for a few years now. You're not from Chicago originally. I forget where you're from, but whatever. Uh, what's that? It's a burb. It's, it's a, a burb. Plainfield. Okay. So. Plainfield. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. You've studied your, it's in some way. I, I, I sub, I'm not from Chicago either. Yeah. And I, I submit, here's my position as a person, not from Chicago coming to Chicago. I know Chicago is better than Chicago ones because I've studied in Chicago. And I think Rachel Hinton is the same way. She studied you, Chicago. So we know you in a way you don't know yourself. You just assume things about yourself, Chicago. <laughs> and we like, we look at you and go, you know, you're doing this. You realize what you're doing, Chicago. Yeah. I'm just saying as an outsider looking at you, this is what you're doing. Like Martin Luther King came to Chicago. You threw a rock at him. And you hit him in the head. Okay. What's that? Didn't somebody throw a brick? It could have been a. I've heard brick, rock. Either way, it's like just way, yeah. one way. <laughs> but and I like the like okay. uh, But you did that, Chicago. Okay, that's something I don't know. Maybe want to reflect upon. Like take five minutes of your day. You know, think about that. The man of peace, the greatest humanitarian of the 20th century, he came here. You threw him, hit him in the head with a brick or a rock. Um. So knowing Chicago the way you do, how do you think the voters of Chicago would have voted? Uh, had this been on the ballot? I think they would have voted to keep the the status. I think, you know, the usual pockets would have come out and said no. So you got, you know, Mount Greenwood, got a couple of South Side wards, you got a couple of Northwest Side wards that would have said, no, we want to get rid of this. But I think, I think we would have kept the status. I'm with you 100% on this. I actually believe, and if there, it, it would have been an issue uh, that would have been debated uh, for the pro sanctuary people would have had to come out in force. Uh, and I do believe they would have been victorious and it would have, I do believe it would have been a good message for Chicago to send. So I'm with you on that one. Uh, so I guess we outvoted you, Linda, two to one, uh, <laughs> but we still love you, Linda. And thank you very much uh, for sharing your thoughts. You can email me and tell me I'm wrong as well. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Linda's coming uh, for you, Rachel. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the Mick story. Uh, I say with all love and uh, for my dear friend, Mick Dumkey, cr- another great story for Mick Dumkey at Block Club. Uh, why don't you uh, take the lead on this one, Rachel? Go ahead. Yeah, he's been a very busy guy. Um, so a couple months ago, Mick and uh, Melody Mercado, uh, you know, went to a couple of uh, community meetings out in the West Loop about, you know, um, new arrivals and the city's plan to welcome them and, and where they were going to live and things of that sort. And um, somebody there said, you know, the West Loop has a lot of buildings that are like turnkey ready. So they can just kind of quickly get these shelters up and running. Um, 
and you know it would bring in rent to the property owners and people would be able to have a place to live and so that started them kind of thinking is what it sounds like um and now months later this this investigation came out earlier this week i also want to say wednesday um they found that there's a number of um west loop like former office buildings uh, spe specifically three uh, former office buildings that have been converted into migrant housing uh, for as much as $1.3 million a month, although um, there's still a lot of information that I know that they're waiting on from the city um, to, to fully understand how much this is costing. Um, that figure is just for renting the space that doesn't include food, that doesn't include laundry, that doesn't include any other services for new arrivals. Um, the three uh, office buildings in the West Loop are now part of over 20 shelters for new arrivals that the city has opened. Um, yeah, the, the city hasn't isn't being fully transparent about how much this is costing, why these buildings and whatnot. But the people who own the buildings um, are, you know, well known in like the West Loop real estate market. Um, I believe one of them was like had some role in founding or helping to found Sterling Bay. There's a guy who calls himself the King of the West Loop. You know, he's, he's made it very cool. Yeah. Uh, and then another guy who um, is, is part of a, like the West Central area, West Central Association board, which is, I want to say the West Loop kind of um, chamber of commerce. So that's kind of the gist. I mean, I hope I did that story justice and, and like, five seconds or whatever um, summarizing it yeah it's mostly uh, you know mick has, has said that this is mostly a transparency story um or an attempt at a transparency story since you know there's still a lot of things the city didn't answer there's multiple paragraphs that end with the city did not answer yeah. like, they didn't answer questions neither did the city um as an attempt to try to understand what's going on um you know since it seems like this garter world contract or like the, the tent encampments uh may not happen, or at least for right now, it seems like this is a, a larger move uh, to the brick and mortar spots. So trying to understand basically what's what's going on. What's the plan here? Yeah. Uh, and uh, shout out. I didn't mean to uh, overlook uh, Melody. Uh, so shout out Melody as well. Uh, and uh, my favorite part of the story, I texted this to Mick. I just laughing out loud. I mean, to me, uh, this is a classic Chicago story about uh, folks who understand how to I always say this. Every system has a system. Some I learned in Chicago from having lived here so long. And Chicago has its own system, okay? Uh, so we talked earlier about you go to Ed Burke, you know, well, I'm, I want to get my property taxes lower. I'm not going to go to Rachel Hinton. I'm going to go to Ed Burke, even though Rachel Hinton could do a good job. Give her six months, ladies and gentlemen, she could do as good a job. Give me too much credit. <laughs> you, can you handle basic math? That's uh, pretty much all you have to <laughs> I mean, I can, but like, you know. What were you better at in school, math or reading or English? <laughs> I I will bike to the library to pick up my books on hold. Okay, yeah. Yeah, just, like that's me. But then they're like me. I was okay. There's a, a a tangent within a tangent. Like I'm really good. I one of the few things I'm really good at is adding up sums. Hmm. So I do this from bowling. Okay, so millennials out there and Zs, uh, not all bowling alleys uh, have electronic scoring. So you, in some bowling alleys, you have to actually you take a pencil 
uh, millennials and Zs. I'll show you what a pencil is. Uh, and there's a piece of paper. You add it up. I'm not kidding. This is for real. Millennials like, yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> do, do you know how to score in bowling, Rachel? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you do? You do someone, that part. Someone taught you that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Whoever you taught you. Do the, the paper. You got a pen. <laughs> yeah. Paper, add down the line. You carry the one. You know, yeah. that, that's pretty simple. Yeah. So I'm really good at that. I I mean, for some reason, I don't know why. I, I mean, I barely got through uh, algebra at Evanston High School. Thank you, Mr. Sibley, for carrying me through that. But I could. Here, I'm showing Rachel Exhibit A. My Whoa. Pencil. <laughs> Is that uh, a pencil? I don't know. Is that the appropriate response? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But anyway, I uh, went on a tangent there. Uh, I don't know why I went on that tangent. Oh, I was saying that Rachel could do uh, property tax because every bit as well as Ed Burke. Uh, I don't even know if Ed Burke ever did a private. He had people that, like clerks that did it. He, anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, this quote from Mick and Melody's story is so priceless. It's so Chicago. They're talking about one of the developers or one of the real estate guys who got the goodies. Uh, and this is him talking about himself. Uh, and uh, here's, <laughs> I love this one, man. Here we go. Quote, work hard, play harder may be his credo. But Phil moves like a jungle cat when there's a deal to be made. End of quote. I've been like, ever since I've been telling Mick, Mick moves like a jungle cat. <laughs> there's a story to be written. Oh, my goodness. Jungle cat, man. Uh, but that is so classic Chicago. You know what I mean? I'm going to get that deal. I'm, I know how the system works. I know where the money's coming down. And to those on the inside know, and my only point from the get-go, from the moment I became aware that we had a quote-unquote crisis, Rachel, is, hey, turn this into our opportunity for all Chicago. It's not just the jungle cats, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> everybody, you get what I'm saying? Like, put people to work, Chicago, building this housing. That's kind of my attitude. But my sense of it, Rachel, it's like so much in Chicago. It's like... Guys on the inside, go ahead. You take it away. Well, I was just, I was agreeing. It seems like it's mostly for people with clout or like the clouded few who, you know, have the money or means or the business chops to kick in $20,000 to a political fund and who know how to do that sort of thing. And who are invited to, you know, the rooms where the decisions are made or could be made or begin. Um, That's ultimately what it seems like so far. I'll be curious to see how this goes. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know where some of the other places are going to be. Um, you know, I know that I'm sure, pretty sure that there's still talk about like the CVS out in Pilsen. I want to say being turned into a migrant shelter. Um, I don't know who owns that. So like maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but from these three people, um, or the story about these three people, it seems like oh, we're we're doing this, we're doing this the usual way. You got to have clout. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, it's the Chicago way for a reason, I guess. But when are we going to change that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping this the Trump, uh, the Trump trial, man, I got Burke was Trump's lawyer. Uh, the Burke trial may change. We'll have to see how that goes. You know what I'm saying? It may. Who knows? But that's the central issue uh, at the Burke's trial, uh, how Burke used his control over the city apparatus uh, and to force people to come to his law firm uh, and people who wanted to play the game had to know that. So that's just getting at the heart of what Rachel was just talking about. All right, let me move on uh, to um, 
the final big story of the week in Chicago, uh, the police contract. And I found this a fascinating from, uh, we haven't really talked about it that much on the show, uh, but there are two elements uh, to the police contract. One has to do with our, uh, how bad behavior of police, uh, alleged bad behavior of police officers is adjudicated, whether it's through arbitration or an open process, a closed arbitration process or an open arbitration process. And the other was the, um, the raise that the police got. Uh, and I'll say this again and again and again. I do not believe uh, the police community in Chicago has been appreciative enough to uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson for this raise that they got. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Brandon Johnson was uh, elected uh, by a movement that began with rhetoric of defund the police. Uh, that rhetoric has long since been abandoned pretty much by anyone in the city of Chicago. And we had a lot of uh, lefties in the city council voting to fund a police raise. And I have not heard Paul Fallis. I've not heard Johnny Catanzara. I've not heard the Chicago Tribune editorial board. All these people, Arnie Duncan hasn't weighed in, who said it would be horrific for the police, uh, the rank and file police officers, if Brandon Johnson and Ben's beloved lefties took control say, hey, thank you, Brandon Johnson, uh, for the raise that you gave uh, to the Chicago police. So that's my personal take on it. And the other one, uh, shout out. I got to give a shout out to the BGA uh, and David Grising, who's taking a, a, he's the head of the BGA. Uh, they're the ones who kind of, in my opinion, and you can weigh in on this, Rachel, sort of led the charge on getting the public to understand and realize uh, what was at play here with uh, arbitration, closed arbitration versus open hearings on allegations of police misconduct? So why don't you uh, just uh, elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, on the raises front, it's 20 percent over four years. I mean, that's pretty substantial. Um, I was a I used to work at the BGA, now called Illinois Answers Project. Um, well, one part of it is called Illinois Answers Project. Uh, we I was a steward there. I understand how difficult that negotiation process probably was. Um, it's so hard to get people to agree on that. And so uh, 20% over four years seems pretty substantial. Um, or not even seems, that is pretty substantial. Uh, I also want to just shout out Jeffrey Cubbage, who uh, wrote the story on the hidden costs within the police budget, um, or not police budget, but this this contract. Um I think without that story, kind of echoing what you already said, I don't I don't really know that we would know all the ins and outs. Um, that being said, I mean, I think that he laid out a couple of things in, in the story that um, I don't I don't know we're really talked about. Um, you know, there's there's stipends paid to officers for like medical needs and things of that sort, uh, money for like one time retention bonuses. Um, you know, in addition to those like salary increases, um, the misconduct piece though, I mean, that got the major attention and that makes sense. I mean, we have to think back to like Laquan McDonald, you have to think about, um, all the other issues around, you know, police brutality, um, and the fact that, you know, the Chicago police board more, more and more, uh, support is being thrown behind that as a way to really hold officers accountable. Um, and this measure, which was voted on separately from the full contract, would have, it seems, gutted that. Um, and not even it seems, it, it would have made that especially hard for the Chicago Police Board to like do their job, to do the job that like 
they're all there to do. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see like the arbitrary. So I think city councils and because of their vote, this decision now goes back to the arbitrator. The arbitrator now has to decide whether or not to uphold that and be okay with it. Or it can, the, the guy can send his same ruling back to the city council and say, no, we, you should have this like private arbitration clause um, within this contract. So I'm curious to see how that's going to go. Um, but I, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that they would separate the two and then deny this one because it seems generally the contract is supported by, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, uh, FOP union members, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the raises and some of the other clauses in there are probably going to be pretty helpful. Um, one of them also being therapy, just that just came to mind. Um, but I'll be curious to see, and, and they, they can't strike. So I, I don't know, I could go off on like other tangents as well, but curious basically to see how this plays out over the coming weeks, months, maybe. Yeah. Well, the issue of the arbitration uh, closed versus public uh, really is a what I would call, and I'm putting this in quotes because I'm really reluctant to use this word in conjunction with anything that happens in the city of Chicago or the state of Illinois, but reform. Uh, and uh, so this is like a reform. That's why the BGA, which is basically essentially a reform organization uh, going back years and years to days of Terry Bruner, et cetera, and so forth, they they're uh, like good government group and talking in terms of like what's good government practice and so openness and transparency uh, and, uh, you know, an acknowledgement uh, that in the past, uh, well, essentially taxpayers will be on the uh, hook for um, police misconduct, lawsuit settlements or payouts. Uh, and so we need more openness on this front. This is essentially a reform matter. Uh, and um, it's kind of being lost in the shuffle a little bit, I think, the way things are being uh, in the spin uh, that uh, John Catanzaro and Tororo Police have put on this thing, uh, as though as this is an initiative of radical lefties who want to uh, punish the police department or police officers. Uh, and I'm like, well, as uh, far as I could tell, this initiative is being supported by the larger quote-unquote reform community, which is why I'm bringing the BGA in it. Because like the reason I said David Grising, I got a bunch of emails from him uh, where he was sending out a fund, I think it was a fundraising appeal ultimately saying, hey, give us credit for this. We're the ones who put this in people's mind. I go, okay, I got to give you credit, my man. Uh, so it's kind of, you know what I'm saying? Getting at here, Rachel, things get lost in translation in Chicago. Y you know, this is supposedly a reform initiative uh and it's kind of being turned into a labor issue that's the point i'm making yeah i think i can see that um i think often it's like first thought best thought you know like because this is a union contract i think that's why people view it as a labor issue and not necessarily one about reform and what do we want the police department to look like you know i think during the debate around this topic, there were a number of older people who talked about, you know, this is like 1% of the police department. Why are we doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And sure, you know, it's it may be such a small percentage of the police department, but for the police department and for the city to regain trust, some of these misconduct, not even some, these misconduct proceedings, 
and what happened and why it happened and, you know, the ultimate decision of, you know, are they suspended? Are they not suspended? Are they fired or whatever? That should be public. People need to know what's going on in the department tasked with public safety, you know? Um, So I think that like, it's easy to think of it as just a union issue because you are talking about a contract and you are, you know, uh, talking about a major union in the city and what's going to happen with these workers. And for the most part, like I get that, but this I think deserves its own separate thought process. Um, it, it deserves to be looked at, I think, as a reform issue and like, what, what are we doing? And if, if we, you know, pass this, which, you know, it did not pass, what does that say about the efforts of reform that people have been working really hard for since Aquan McDonald was shot and killed? Yeah. Uh, which is now, uh, good God, eight years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to be wrong with the number. Yeah. Uh, all right, and we'll close uh, with uh, Rachel's recommendation, which, um, I, as I said at the outset, I was delighted to realize we share a love for libraries and we share a love for Sulzer, uh, and we share the practice of putting books in reserve and uh, rushing down the Sulzer to pick up our books when the library sends us that email telling us that the book we've been waiting for uh, has finally arrived. Uh, so, what book would you recommend? Uh, that you've read lately or that you've got from Sulzer uh, from the library. I want to really promote going to your library on this one. I know you could buy the book probably uh, from a bookstore, but just for the moment, let's promote the library. Uh, so what books would you recommend or book would you recommend, Rachel, uh, that you've read recently? I've been on a sci-fi kick, and this year I spent the majority of the year really reading Octavia Butler books. Um, I started with her series Lilith's Brood which is a ridiculously hard name for me to say I don't know why um very hard sci-fi like meaning otherworldly spaceship aliens etc um I think more interesting or maybe a little less fantastical is uh Kindred which follows a woman whose ancestor was a slave and she goes back and forth in time um, and, you know, meets her ancestor um, and basically has to keep the man who, uh, I don't know if he, well, I mean, he, he rapes her ancestor and that, that begins her bloodline. And so she has to save this guy over and over again from death to make sure that her bloodline begins. Um, and that was really wild, um, you know. A lot of a lot of trigger warnings there for that one. Um, but then also Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, which are two two books she did that were just super, I don't know, realistic. Uh the people live in like a gated community in like post-apocalyptic like Los Angeles or near there or something. Um, and it's about this this girl basically trying to survive and trying to survive with her family. Um, and the ins and outs of that, and it gets very crazy. Um, so, uh, so libraries are great. That's my general recommendation. You can work there. If you go online, you can like book a room to work out of. I work from home often, so sometimes you just need to change the scenery. Go to the library. Uh, uh, yeah, go to the library. Absolutely, uh, you can work there too. Yes, uh, and sometimes just walking in the library. I just kind of this is weird uh, acknowledgement I'm going to uh, confession I'm going to make, uh, but like I walk in and I, I see all these smart people, and I'm like 
all of a sudden I have a great idea <laughs> or to what me thinks like a great idea. I quick get a piece of paper or my, my, even my phone, millennials are like this. I take and, it or I type it on my phone and I'm like, I gotta get this idea down. So people will see me standing in like the middle of the, <laughs> some weird old guy with a bull's hat typing furiously on his phone. Like I gotta get this idea that came to me because I walked into this library. It's just like, just, just being in this library. Got that spark, that idea. Octavia Butler is a freaking genius, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't read her now, I urge you. I would say start with Kindred. Uh, this is my thoughts. Get your thoughts, Rachel, because it's the most, what's the word, uh, accessible book. I mean, it's a deep book. It's it's found. And, yes, it's very trigger warnings everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, because yeah. it's not an easy going. But, like, some of her other sci-fi is out there sci-fi. And uh, so – you may want to work your way up to it if a little but that's uh my thoughts on octavia brother would you say start with kindred i think that's fair it's also like a standalone book the other ones i mentioned are all like a series so it's a good way to like just get into you know who is this person who's this author like oh god what is this story you know um but I found the prose just really interesting and riveting. It was hard to, it was hard to put down both because it's written so well and also because you want to know what's going on. And just like the whole time you're disgusted and terrified and you just want to know what's going to happen and how does it end. Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah. It's a far more sophisticated. What was that movie? I can't believe I'm forgetting on it. Back to the future. Remember Back to the Future? This is a far more sophisticated. It's like the same premise. You got to go back to the past to save. Like you said, you got to. And the the guy she say, oh, God, it's so twisted and weird. It's when you think about it, it's a parable. Uh, Whatever. Uh, But yeah, by the way, Back to the Future is one of the weirdest movies ever. Have you ever seen Back to the Future? I have, but not in a long time. Oh, God. It's very weird on many levels. Just saying, folks, kind of weird. Uh, my my recommendation, I got it from Sulzer. Shout out to Chicago Public Library. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zadie Smith's uh, The Fraud. Zadie Smith, in my humble opinion, is one of the great novelists of her generation. She's a Gen Xer. Brilliant. From uh, a, a London. Uh, and this book, this may be book be a hard one to get into for Zadie Smith uh, because it, it's um, 19th century uh, setting it's kind of her Charles Dickens novel, but man, she is so talented. It's a bestseller. Uh, so if you're going to order from the library, you're going to wait a while. Uh, Rachel, I had to wait like four months, you know. I'm looking that up right now, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not in paperback. So if you're going to buy it, uh, you're going to pay the, the hardcover copy. But I, I really recommend it. It's a great read. She's a brilliant writer. And she gets to a lot of issues about... Um, that are relevant today because in the mo- in the book people fall they just give up their lives and beliefs in someone who's a fraud and in many ways i find it as a parable uh to what's going on with donald trump and maga and i'm sure lady smith was knew what she was doing when she wrote this book i'm just saying that uh rachel uh before i let you go any uh shout outs you want to give any promotions you want to give for uh, block club what you're up to yeah, I think we're still. I think we're still doing our, our fundraising drive. Uh, you can always sign up for newsletters and things of that sort. I think if you subscribe now, I'm on the page. I don't see it yet, but um, if you donate, I believe you get or can qualify to get a uh, an art print from a, a local artist. So that, that's my big shout out. And you know, 
the whole team at Block Club is doing great stuff. It's a great place. It's not just McDumpkey, okay? It's a whole bunch of people doing good stuff. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, Rachel, uh, dear friend of the show. Always coming on when I ask. I appreciate it tremendously. Rachel Hinton, great work for Block Club. Also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I think Rachel Hinton and McDumpkey will tell you. Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always spend your weekend with Ben Jarofsky. Just hang out at chicagoreader.com. You can find columns from Ben Jarofsky. You can sign up for the Reader newsletter. You can check out the top stories from other Reader writers. You can spend a whole bunch of time not spend a penny. Unless you want to support the Reader, you can always donate, and you can also shop the merch store. So check that out, chicagoreader.com. You want to follow Ben on Instagram? It's easy, at Benny J Show. And don't forget, like, subscribe, and follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on all your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.